Welcome to the Experience Darden Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Twitty, and you are listening to a new episode. On this episode of the podcast, I'm excited to share my recent conversation with Sakari Brown. Sakari is a first-year student in our full-time MBA class of 2023. And as you'll learn over the course of this conversation, she is involved in quite a bit of extracurricular activities here at the Darden School of Business. That list includes consortium, the Black Business Student Association, the Private Equity Club, which she is uh, the president of here in the, in the coming year, also the Entrepreneurship and Venture Capital Club. Uh, she's a Breakthrough Scholar, um, so many things. Um, I wanted to mention Breakthrough Scholars in particular because if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, hopefully you've had a chance to check out our great conversation with Greg Fairchild all about the Breakthrough Scholars program. If you haven't, you should go back and listen to it. Uh, but without further ado, here is my interview with Sakari Brown. Sakari, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Well, it's great to talk with you. First and foremost, how are you doing? How is everything? Uh, things are good. It's Q4, so that means that core is done and I can jump into electives. And I've set my schedule up in such a way that Monday and Tuesdays are like my busy days. And then uh, Wednesday and Thursdays, I only have one class. So I'm really thrilled that and you're just off a of spring break right oh, you yeah. Just, yeah how <laughs> yeah. how was that you sound very relaxed I will say which oh, is great I am, it's it's amazing what happens when you go from having 8 a.m classes every day to have 10 a.m classes so yes I am very refreshed uh spring break was great a group of us uh, actually a large group of us went to Columbia um so that was pretty cool got to practice my Spanish um but it was nice being in some warm weather and great food and with my darting classmates. So it was really, it was a lot of fun, a great way to spend spring break. And was that just a trip I, or was it a, a Darden worldwide course? Just no, it was just a trip. Just yeah, a trip. just a trip. We, a few of us, some folks went to um, Mexico. There was a group who went to Mexico, a group who went to Colombia, and some folks um, went to Utah. So it was like kind of what you wanted to do. Um, I think even some folks went to Peru too. So it was pretty cool. It's not a bad spring break. I'm trying to think about the spring breaks. I think I like went home. This one, mom and dad must have. Columbia is not bad. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it was. I, I, it was nice. It was a nice escape from you know. It was a little bit of cold weather, I think, because when we were there, it was snowing in Charlottesville, and all of us were like, "Oh, absolutely not. We are so glad we are on the beach." So yes. <laughs> and did you go with classmates who are from Columbia? That's always a, a cool thing. If that if that actually happens, it doesn't always work out that. Or did you just go with a group um, yeah. of people who wanted to explore the country a little bit more? It was more of the latter. Um, we did have two amazing classmates who helped us, Gabrielle and Valentina, who are both from Colombia, um, who kind of helped us like check our itinerary and gave us advice on the things to do. So that was really nice. Um, but majority of us, we had never been to Colombia before. Yeah. All right. Well, you got Q4, you got electives. You're easing into the schedule here. It sounds like you've got a good schedule, a very <laughs> civilized schedule. You started, you know, 10 a.m. Um, on on those on those days, and so um, I appreciate you taking time out for the podcast. And you know, let's start with what you did before you came to Darden. So, what's your background? Tell us your story. Yeah, so my background's a little all over the place. Uh, I started my career as a engineer and I worked in construction uh, and that's what brought me down from New York City to Maryland. So I did that um, after graduating college and then I quickly realized like if you know anything about construction you know that if they could you'd be working 24 hours a day because you're trying to build things right and people need things built. Uh, we, we have a lot of construction here on grounds and so um, it was just a little intense. So I wanted something that was more balanced, gave me more chance, more of a chance to develop business acumen and people skills. And so that's when I discovered this thing called consulting, um, where I went for school, uh, at least in the engineering program, they didn't really talk to us about consulting. So it was kind of like, oh, what is this cool looking thing? And um, so I transitioned from working in construction to doing that. And I did that for four years at Deloitte, which was awesome um, and brought me to Virginia. So I got a chance to work in Virginia and even Puerto Rico for a little bit. And then uh, I knew I wanted to go to business school, but I wasn't really sure when. Uh, and I didn't. I knew I wanted to do something else besides consulting. And 
literally while I was in Puerto Rico, a friend of mine reached out and said, hey, um, do you know anyone who wants to apply for this role at this private equity firm I work at? And I was like, I don't know what private equity is. Uh, so no, I don't really know anyone. <laughs> um, and they ended up like following up with me a few weeks later, like, hey, how's Puerto Rico? Would you consider it a job? And I, uh, I turned it down uh, because I, I, I'm not a finance person. I, before, I would have never guessed that that was something I was interested in. But after some convincing, I took that back and put my head in the ring to interview and ended up getting the job. And so um, I did private equity at a small um, growth equity shop in uh, Maryland, Baltimore, Maryland, and then came to Darden. So that was what I was doing immediately before Darden. So some twists and turns there in the story. A lot of Started twists and turns. Engineering, construction, to consulting, to private equity, to an MBA program. I have to go back a little bit further in your story now. Are you, you mentioned New York. Are you originally from New York? Yeah, I'm from Brooklyn, New York. Uh, born, raised, and educated in Brooklyn. Um, and so that is my heart. That is my, my, my love, my home. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, I appreciate, appreciate your sharing that. It's always I always enjoy hearing about people's hometowns and, and where they're from. So you come to Darden, but you know, before we get you here in Charlottesville taking classes, tell us a little bit more about how you decided to pursue an MBA. Is this something that you, once you started your career, you, you knew you wanted to do, or maybe goes back further than that, relatively recent idea? How did the idea of an MBA get on your radar? Uh, I think the first time I even understood what an MBA or her an MBA was um, I was at a conference in college I think it was a sophomore and a good friend of mine had gotten into an MBA program and, and it was like a really big deal and I was like oh what's, what's this MBA thing about so I think that was the first time I heard like MBA right and um, I, I did a little bit of dabbling to understand it and after I got out of out of school or graduated college I think I spent more time especially when I was working in construction figuring out like okay, I know I like people, I like business, I have this engineering mindset, but I'm more bent towards like doing something with it, not just building like structures. And that's when the business school thing came up again for me. So I would say after college, I spent time like, honestly, like Google and YouTube and LinkedIn and um, just trying to get a better understanding of what it looked like, how I could pay for it, like what it meant, the types of programs. And so um, it just over those years, I think from 2014 or 2015 up until I applied last cycle was like a lot of that runway of just exploring and talking to people. Um, but I don't I didn't have anyone like in my family that went to a business school or anything like that. It kind of was just from folks in my network and then that conference. Yeah. So how did Darden uh, become a school of, you know, where you said this is a place where I, I feel like I can I can thrive? Yeah, I mean, being in the what we call like the DMV area, right, DC, Maryland, Virginia, Darden, it's going to come up in some way, shape or form, UVA is going to come up in some way, shape or form. So I remember one of the first folks that I met, like kind of at a networking event, um, we didn't necessarily keep in touch, but besides like LinkedIn or something. And I remember he got into Darden and he was on the face of all the material. And I was like, oh, what's this Darden place? So that was like my first introduction to Darden. Um, and then fast forward a couple of years, um, going like actively being intentional about applying. Um, I think the thing that one of the things that stuck out to me really was even in a virtual world, Darden had an amazing way, comparatively speaking, of drawing you in and making you feel like you're part of the community, even though you weren't officially uh, you know, admitted yet. And so it was just through those virtual events of like getting to know the even faculty, I, I remember like one of the first things I did was like Div diversity conference and Peter Bellamy was a speaker. We got to sit in like on the class with him and I was like, what, who is this guy? This is amazing. And fortunately I was able to have him for LO um, for first year core. And now I'm taking another class with him past the power. Um, but it was like those sorts of things um, that really, to me, made Darden feel like, oh, this is a place where I can really see myself being. Appreciate the shout out for the diversity conference. It's something we've talked about here on the podcast. We actually had Christian Robinson on the podcast not so oh, long nice. ago, yeah. and he was uh, instrumental in, in planning and executing uh, this year's diversity conference, uh, which was also virtual. And it is kind of incredible what, what the virtual medium 
has done in terms of access to these events. You know, I think historically we did a lot of in-person events and it was really kind of hard to imagine what, you know, a virtual networking event might look like or um, even a virtual mock class, which is strange to say now, but yeah. you know, ultimately, <laughs> um, ultimately the COVID pushed us to try things. And I think a lot of the virtual events, even as we start to do more things in person, uh, will stick around just for the yeah. reason that it gives people uh, a lot of opportunity. Even if we're not doing something in your city or you couldn't join us on a particular evening, um, it still gives you a chance to connect and learn about the program. So it's been a really powerful thing for admissions committee members, just as it has been for prospective students learning, seeking to yeah. learn more about Darden. So you come to Darden, you're in your first year. We talked a lot on the podcast about about the first year experience. You'd had this kind of very professional background um, and you show up here. Uh, what, what, was, what were those first few months like? The first few months were hard. Um, it wasn't hard, in, in, at least in my case, um, for any issue within like community. I felt like if anything, I learned that this is one of the strongest communities I've ever been a part of and most supportive. Um, it was just a hard transition from being someone who, in my case, worked, uh, I think, almost seven years full time up to that point to getting back into the mindset of being a student, not like a working professional. And so it just took a little bit of an adjustment in that regard. Um, that was that was challenging. I also, um, in the first few months, was dealing with uh, sickness. My aunt, who's like my um, basically like my second mom, was battling cancer and um, she ended up not surviving, but what that experience, going through that experience during the first few months of core showed me was like how um, accommodating and supportive Darden is not just the student body, but the administration, because the amount of texts and emails and like accommodations and well wishes, donations, like unsolicited that I received. Um, really uh, made a difference in, in how I viewed, even to be honest, how I viewed higher education, how I viewed like um, the administration and that sort of thing, not that I had a negative view, but you just don't really think outside of like, okay, people that I already know probably care, but to know that no professors care, like they're like, hey, whatever you need, if you need to take a class off, like that was a big um, part of my first few months here. And so Although it was a challenge from transitioning from working full time to dealing with family and loss and grief, um, to be honest, this community made that transition like eventually a lot easier. Um, I also want to shout out like um, the timely care resource that UVA offers us from a mental health perspective. Um, that was helpful for me, especially dealing with grief and then the stress of like balancing school. Um, so if anyone's listening and you have some things that you're worried about in that regard, just know that there are a, a whole lot of resources um, that Darden doesn't necessarily like always like do a great job promoting. Um, but we we are like, I think, really well resourced in that regard. And we need to give ourselves more credit. Well, I will know we did have Debbie Wilson here on the podcast uh, to nice. talk about uh, mental health counseling. And I loved that conversation because her background is fascinating. Uh, she is. coached women's basketball at Ohio State University. She worked with elite athletes amongst other people through her career. But like a lot of her work has been helping people perform. And business school, as she correctly notes, is a performance environment, right? You're preparing for class, you're preparing for exams. So how do you do this? And you know, there are all these things in your life that impinge upon that. And you know, how do you how do you navigate all of this? I mean, to to your point, Sakari. Life doesn't life doesn't stop when you start a business program, but you do have resources. You've got a lot of you've got a lot of support here. Uh, I'm, I'm not surprised to hear about the faculty and and staff um, stepping up. I think one of the things about Darden that's really nice is that it has a very human scale to it. You know, 335 yeah. students. Um, you know, and across two two classes, so about. Roughly, I don't know, 670 or so students in the full-time MBA program. It's easy for people to to get to know to know folks and for you to make yeah. connections with your classmates and and for the faculty to know students. Um, it, it sounds like that resonates uh, with you. Yeah, a lot. And and also, like I know I just kind of focus on like the very serious part of my first experience, but I had a lot of fun too. Uh, so I do want to put that out there. Like on that note, on community in the Darden community, and to your point, like being a part of a 
relatively smaller uh, business school community, it was great and pretty easy, at least in my case, which I know I'm fortunate to be able to build connections early on and, um, you know, balance out the stress of class with some fun. So that was great. What section uh, were you, if you don't mind by asking? I am still section A. We don't ever lose our sections. I've been telling people like, commit it, commit to it forever. So we're section, I'm section A lion. Um, and I'm actually a Leo. So I thought it was very appropriate uh, that I got <laughs> assigned to section A. Yeah, I don't think um, we've considered Sagittarius, like uh, we've considered, um, sorry, I'm a Sagittarius. That was a bit of a slip. Um, I don't think we've considered astrological signs when assigning people to these sections, <laughs> but you do make an interesting point. Um, it's nice to have someone from Section A. Tell us a little bit uh, more about Section A and what and what this section is all about. Uh, yeah, Section A, I always tell people, I feel like we are fairly diplomatic. Like I felt, I feel like I wouldn't be surprised if folks in my class ran for office or something. Like we don't really, there's not a lot of like uh, shaking up or like controversy in our section. I think everyone, um, something I appreciate is folks are always willing to have their mind changed or their perspective changed. Um, we're willing to push back, but usually very like respectfully and tactfully. And so it, and if we have any tension, we recover very quickly. So um, I usually characterize as a diplomatic um, and very type A, not to like feed into the stereotype of section A being type A, but we really are like structure, organization, calendar advice, planning, like that's, a, that's our thing across the board. And we just need to, we just need to lean into it. So section A, emphasis on A, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, yeah, emphasis on it, yep. Well, tell us a little bit more about your learning team. So it's fun to talk about sections because I, I, you know, prospective students may know a little bit about this, but I do think it's such a big part of the first year core experience where you have the section and that is a, such an important touchstone for you academically and, and socially, but you also have a learning team. Can you tell us a little bit more about, about your team? Sure. So I think I have a, I don't say unique, but a different experience with my learning team. So um, my learning team is also, well, was an awesome group of folks. Um, I think we definitely like were uh, different in that we were very focused on making sure we stuck to like our time frame. <laughs> we were very like, what's the word, like efficient. Um, and so uh, that was nice. And we got it. We had the chance to like get to know each other just like from checking in at the beginning of things. Um, but then also in full transparency, I think as folks will understand, recruiting picks up, personalized things pick up. So we decided to start to try to be flexible in terms of how we met expectations. And so, um, you know, and then towards like the end of Q3, we decided to uh, go our separate ways, but not with any hard feelings. It was just the reality of um, what, where our group was able to manage. And I think that's something that's important to, to also talk about too, because it, the reality is like every learning team doesn't isn't going to be like the super high five hanging out every weekend learning team that everyone might always have um, but it doesn't mean it's a bad thing it doesn't mean there's like tension or beef like we email each other we check in we see each other like I grab lunch with a few folks so it's still all love but um, you know I think when we were working together and still connected as a unit we were very efficient we helped each other out and it was phenomenal to have that system um, and even though right now you know we're in q4 and not all in the same classes, we're all like, hey, if you need something, you need a, need a book, you need someone to check in, let us know. So that's that's pretty good. It does feel like when you get into recruiting, every learning team, people are really kind of scrambling uh, during that period, right? Because some folks are, you know, depending on the kinds of roles, the kinds of the industry that they're focused on, uh, a lot of their energy will go towards recruiting at, at different times. And as we talked about this here on the podcast, it does feel like, well, you, you start and recruiting is in the background, but at some point it moves into the foreground, which for a learning team can, can be a real part, part of the, the, how do we navigate this collectively? Um, how yeah. do we figure out a schedule that works? Accountability, what does that look like um, through this period? Yeah, and I think it's an important lesson, honestly, on um, being flexible as a leader, being flexible as a team member, because every team you join or every company you jump in to lead is not um that everybody in the team is not going to have your same working style or things come up like we talked about life happens and so being able to be flexible without burning bridges or um any type of you know damaging relationships i think is 
an important lesson and what better place to explore that or learn it while than while in business school. All right. So you're in electives now. You've got the summer coming up. Mm-hmm. What are your plans uh, for, for the summer? Have you figured, figured that out? Yep. World domination, not plan. Um, <laughs> so for the summer, um, uh, shout out to the Darden Venture Fellows Program. I will be um, a venture fellow at Sands Capital. So I'll be working with them for the summer as a VC associate. So I'm really excited about that because, as you know, Sands family is very important to, to our school. Um, but also it's a, a very strong um investment firm and I want to stay in the Virginia DC area. So it's awesome to be able to do something over the summer um, at such a prestigious firm. I'm really excited about that. Well, our listeners may not know this, but I'm sitting here at Sam's family grounds at 11 oh. Wilson Boulevard. <laughs> and maybe even Sakari didn't, <laughs> didn't know that. So. I did it, but yeah, I'll be up that way in a few months. <laughs> right next door. So um, yeah. Sam's capital management, just the uh, one building over it's at 1000 Wilson Boulevard. Uh, they get our mail. We get their mail from time to time. So it's, it's very exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that that's awesome. Congratulations. That'll be a great Thank summer. You. And we've had a few folks from Sands Capital come through the executive MBA program, obviously deep connections, uh, the full-time program, uh, not just the Sands family, but some other folks who work over there. Um, and so be excited to have you in the neighborhood. We'll, we'll yeah. have to have to, you know, invite you over. You come check out the space here. Uh, were you now there was a group of, of first year students who came up in the fall to, to Roslyn. Uh, yeah. Did you did you do that? Did you participate in that? I did. I came up for that. That was awesome. Um, that was my first time at Sands Family Grounds. Um, but the the funny thing is, I actually used to work down the street at Deloitte. So I'm Roslyn is like it's like going back to my old stomping grounds for the summer. Um, so I'd always passed the building, but I didn't. I'd never been inside. So it's pretty. Uh, it was pretty cool being there, and the rooftop were really was really nice. So yeah, it's a great space. We know the Deloitte building well. It's about yeah. one block from our space. Um, interestingly enough, in the, the lore of the executive MBA program, our program, when we first started delivering classes in the D.C. area a little over five years ago, that space on the, the 25th floor of that building, or whatever, whatever the specific floor is, that's where we had class. Um, oh, before. yeah. Yeah, so it, it's all, all Rosalind, you know. So, yeah. uh, so we know, know that building very well. And... Um, yeah, Roslyn, one of these places that people don't know a ton about, but what we always share uh, with folks, one, we're as close to D.C. as you can get and still be in Virginia. We're basically right at the Key Bridge, less than a mile walk from the Georgetown neighborhood. And two, I would venture to guess we have more fast casual restaurants than any mm-hmm. other location per capita in America. You know, I'm not going to argue with it. I think it's pretty <laughs> fair. I know, like, especially when I was there in Roslyn, like, time at Deloitte I would walk over um during breaks to Georgetown so for folks listening like you know Brett's right like it's literally right there DC's right there so um especially going in the summertime I'm excited to explore the new the new restaurants that have popped up since I've left and um you know being able to walk over to DC is always great well, Sakari, what have you have you been involved with things uh, during this first year? I know first year is a really busy year. We talk all the time about um, school and and social and career. People trying to juggle these balls, and of course, other things happen too while people are navigating all of this. Uh, have you had a chance to get involved in clubs and organizations, or is that something you're looking forward to accomplishing in your second year? Where are you with all of that? I'm so involved, but you know what? It's like, it's very on brand. Uh, So yeah, my first year I've been really involved with the consortium. Um, I'm a fellow in consortium. So that's been awesome. Um, And like being able to, you know, support the community, attend admissions events and speak to prospective students. That's been great. Um, I'm also involved with um, BBSA, the Black Business Student Association, um, I was the first year liaison for the Entrepreneurship and Venture Capital Club, and then the first year liaison for the Darden Private Equity Club. Um, and I am, see if I tell you, I keep doing too much. I am also helping to plan the um, Dabo conference that's coming up, and particularly the pitch competition. And we have uh, companies at uh, representing uh, five countries in Africa. I actually was just elected president of the Private Equity Club. 
and I'm, I think I'm the first woman to be in this role. So that'll be cool. Uh, making some history there, but looking forward to staying involved. Um, oh, actually I'm forgetting <laughs> the Darden capital management. I also am involved in that and I'm a portfolio manager for next year. So private equity club president and DCM portfolio manager for next year. Those are my two big, big things. Okay. All right. I just want to make sure I got all of this. Brett's right. face. <laughs> I just want to make sure I got all this, right? So you've got much. consortium, yeah. uh, BBSA, entrepreneurship and venture capital. Yeah. I uh, also heard a Dabo conference yeah. uh, planning role. You're also the private equity club president. Officially on April 1st. So like that's for next year. So anyone's list, whoever's listening you know, hopefully I get to meet you. Uh, but officially as of April 1st, I will be the president. I've got, I've been elected. It doesn't take over until April 1st. Okay. All right. For those listening, we are recording this in late March. By the time you listen to it, probably will already be oh. underway. So um, <laughs> just note that. And then you portfolio manager for Darden Capital Management. Um, yeah. Sakari, when we talk with a lot of, when we talk with a lot of first year students here on this podcast, the reason for my facial reaction, first of all, congratulations, by the way, on the private equity uh, club president role. That is awesome. Um, it's uh, We've had you know different moments of history along the way with clubs and organizations over the past few years, Darden Capital Management, having a female um, yeah. president was a big deal. Now we've had two in a relatively short period of time. Um, and um, this obviously is also a very big thing. So congratulations on, on that. Um, when we talk with first-year students about extracurricular activities, oftentimes what they will say is something along the lines of like, I was really, I wasn't sure about overextending myself in the first year. I had a lot going on with school and everything. And I just, I wasn't sure. Now you've taken a different approach and like, I, I want, I mean, you don't sound overextended. You seem just fine, by the way, um, here. Thank and, you. Um, yeah, you know, so tell me, tell me your approach, your thought process, like, what have you always been somebody that's been involved? Uh, has that been a big part of your experience and other educational experiences? Yeah, you know, Brett, it doesn't sound crazy until I say it out loud. Uh, because, yeah, I also forgot I, I was like the co coordinator for review for Section A and for consortium. So, like, I don't really know in retrospect how I managed all of this. But my approach generally to come into business school was really. Um, about uh, getting myself outside of my comfort zone in terms of like building my network. I think I'm pretty good at schmoozing and networking and that sort of thing, but I always, I really enjoy people. I enjoy human connection. I enjoy being helpful. And so when we think of the things, when I think of the things that energize me, the things that might seem like, oh, that's a lot to some people actually give me energy to do everything else. So, um, and they aren't, I, I, I was strategic in such a way that things aren't too overbearing and they're manageable, especially with core. So I, that was, that's been my approach. Um, and to your point of like, have I always been this way? Yeah. If you ask anyone who went to undergrad with me, they'd be like, yep, yeah, pretty on brand. Uh, and I was in all the things when I was an undergrad, I, I, an RA, I was a student ambassador with admissions. I was a club president. I mean, so it kind of seems just true to who, who I am at this point. <laughs> Well, I think it's such a great example because I think sometimes when people come to business school, they are so focused on like, well, this is what everybody said I was supposed to do here. And the much more important thing to keep in mind is like, what's important to you? Like, what right. are your priorities? Like, what this is your business school experience. Like, they're, the best way for you to do business school is how you want to approach this and what, what's most important. And it, you, you seem like somebody, Sakari, who's had a very clear sense of like, your priorities and like what brings you joy or where you derive your energy from. Um, at least no, that's, that's my impression. Yeah. I would say that I've, I've done a lot of work over the years to really get down to the nitty gritty of like what makes sense for me. And honestly, I think it, it started with just not, it started with that transition from construction and, and quickly knowing that this wasn't sustainable, like that type of work. And so it's been, it's been easier for me, even outside of business school before that, like in other roles to be able to know what to raise my hand for and what to say no to. And, um, you know, what to also loop other people in on to help with versus what I can sustain by myself. So 
you know, I don't, when I think about just, you know, for reference, when I think about the first three quarters here at Darden in context to all the things I was involved in, um, I, I got through it, but it wasn't by myself. The, the leadership roles, the classes, everything there, it kind of goes back to that community piece, to be honest, not to sound like I'm drinking the Kool-Aid, but it's just true. So, yeah. Do you feel like all those experiences have enriched your, your first year? Can you imagine your first year without them? No, I can't imagine my first year without them. I think in every way, I mean, in each way, like they contributed something different. And so um, I think, and they've helped me see new things about myself and things I need to work on, things that I need to explore more. And so I really can't say my first year, I don't know what my first year would have been like. I think I would have been a little boring, but, and had less people that I feel like, you know, I know, um, so yes, it's just been a great way to like also just get to know the folks here. And the time goes by so quickly at in business school. And I'm, you know, privileged enough to be here and at a school that again has a smaller size. So it's it's just been great to be helpful to people, to be honest, um, through being a leader. And that's that's been great. You make a great point about the relational aspect of extracurricular engagement. You know, there's, uh, we talk here on the podcast a lot about how second year students support first year students. Um, and there's lots of examples of that. You can talk about the second year coaches, uh, the tutoring po- program, uh, just what happens within the clubs and organizations. But I would imagine being involved as you have been, you've met a lot of people over the course of your, of your first year. Yeah, I, I would say that I have. And you know, I think something that's interesting um, or important to me is like you, the difference between having strong ties and weak ties in terms of the connections you make with people. I'm not someone that's just gonna gonna say, "Oh yeah, I know Brett." I have one conversation with Brett, so now we're like best of, of buds. Like to me, it's important to um, be more intentional about it. So it's, I think, if anything, it's creating an easier way to break the ice to then build those stronger ties down the line. And in some cases, like you know life is busy. So some cases I may not have had the chance to do that one-on-one connection in the first three quarters, but, you know, trust and believe we're on the schedule for like coffee chats, you know, Q4 and over the summer, a bunch of us will be in DC together. So, but just, it creates the familiarity, um, breaks the ice and, you know, allows me to, again, be helpful and, you know, hopefully people benefit it in a way uh, from the stuff that I've been able to help with so far. Well, I, I appreciate your, your sharing that. And um, I will give a shout out to my admissions colleague, also friend of the podcast, Christian West, who said, oh, yeah. you know who you should have on the podcast? <laughs> Sakari Brown. She's, oh, involved in a, she's involved in a few things. Uh, that, that, that's, I think that's basically what he said. And um, I mean, Sakari, it's incredible to hear the roster of things. I do want to take a second just to talk about the consortium. It's uh, yeah. obviously an organization we've talked about here on the podcast before. We typically have the new consortium liaisons on when they're, when they're named, and, and we're going to do that again uh, in the coming weeks. Uh, I wonder how has the consortium been a helpful network for you or a, a, an organization that's, that's been useful to you as you've navigated uh, your, your first year? Yeah, consortium has been amazing. Actually, right before this call, I uh, was on I, I was on a call with a prospective student who was interested in learning more about consortium specifically at Darden. And you know, some the word I used was family. And uh, you know, regardless of what business school environment you enter into, feeling like you have community right off the bat is an amazing privilege that a lot of folks don't get to have. Um, and so it's been amazing to have uh, a community of a diverse group of folks who come from all over the place and all over in terms of professional experience as well to just kind of be a safe haven, to be honest, to bounce ideas off of, to, you know, kind of say, hey, am I looking at this differently? Um, so it, Consortium has been great. It, it's really a phenomenal resource here um, and part of my experience here at Darden. One of the things that you mentioned in, in passing when you talked about your, your summer uh, role at Sands Capital Management uh, is the Darden Venture Fellowship. And mm-hmm. that may have caught the ear of some of our listeners. And I wonder if you would mind sharing a little bit more about that program and why it was attractive to you. Yeah. So um, as I mentioned at the top of the, the podcast, like I'm coming from 
a background in private equity. And so when I was thinking, and I know I want to go back into the space. So, you know, when I was looking at uh, Darden in particular, I was looking to understand the resources here for folks who are interested in private equity or venture capital, or even getting into hedge funds. And um, something that came up was um, the Darden Venture Fellows Program. And so I'm just going to explain it in my terms, not the official terms, but the uh, DVF, as we call it here, is a great um, think of it as kind of a program that helps connect students who are very serious about a career in venture capital with partner um, firms uh, that Darnan works with and builds relationships with who have internship opportunities, both on the investment side and sometimes on the operating side at their funds. And so it's pretty cool. You submit one application and it goes to all the firms and they decide who of the applicants they want to interview. And so you go through the interview process and it's pretty cool. It gives you a chance to get in front of firms that maybe you may not have had a connection to, if you, especially if you don't come from a private equity or venture capital background. It may have been hard to get in front of, um, but Darden kind of creates that, uh, you know, kind of marketplace in the sense where it connects you as the applicant to the firms who are looking for that talent. And so um, that was a really big selling point for me, just having that, because to be honest, it's not, most most programs don't have it. And so it's it's pretty good to have that um, here at Darden. Well, it's interesting to hear about your your journey with private equity and, and venture capital and how you have this interest, because I'm remembering uh, what you just mentioned not so, not so long ago in this conversation, when someone first contacted you about private equity and, and opportunity is probably pretty similar to many of our prospective student listeners. If they're like listening to this right now, like, I, I don't know what that, I don't really yeah. know what that is. Um, <laughs> yeah. which, can, can I just uh, take a second to a little bit of a digression here in our conversation, but I'm curious your perspective on this. Um, I came to business school from a law school background, which means I know a little bit, but not a whole lot. And so a lot of what I spent my first year or two learning about is just like all these things that people use shorthand for, or like these industries that people just mention in passing and everybody seems to know what it is, but you. Um, and yeah. so private equity and venture capital are these things that you hear a lot about, but I would wonder how many of our listeners right now know exactly what, what they are. Do you, you probably get this question from prospective students or some people who ask you about what, what you're going to be doing. My family, yeah. Your family, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, so how do you explain it to people? Um, is, there, is there an easy way to kind of help people wrap their brain around this? Yeah, um, this is great because I, I just finished doing this um, with a prospective student, actually. Um, so, you you know, you, you will hear the term you might hear now the term venture capital a lot more in the news and things like that um, than you hear private equity. But what I tell people is that they're, they're the same thing. Um, and so let's start with private equity and just take those two words. So we all are familiar, or most of us might be familiar with like public, like the stock market and being able to buy shares in a company just if you wanted to wake up and do that, right? That's very different than private equity where it's essentially private capital, private money that is being deployed to acquire businesses, to invest in businesses. And so typically that money is going to come from banks and institutions, um, endowments, personal um, wealthy individuals or angel investors who may not necessarily be the super wealthy of the wealthy, they can be, but they meet a certain criteria in order to be able to invest a couple of thousand dollars in a business. So that's private equity as a whole. And now that can break down into multiple parts. And so where it can get confusing is that you'll hear private equity and venture capital used separately. I would say within the realm of the industry, the way to think about it is when you hear venture capital, think about having a garden and you have some seeds that you put in dirt and you water it and you're hoping that it sprouts to something fruitful. Um, that's what I think of venture capital. You're really pouring into and pouring in the, in the way of money and resources into building up something phenomenal, something disruptive. Um, you know, Facebook, all these companies got their start through venture capital money or some sort of thing. You think about private equity side. The, the plant has already been growing for years. Think, you know, think Coca-Cola. The company has just been here. It's just chilling. It's not really going to be disruptive, but you want it to be sustainable and, and keep making some sort of profit or revenue. And so that end of the spectrum is really about 
maintaining the tree that has grown over these years and centuries or whatever the case is, or finding other trees to bring it closer to, to make something amazing. And then somewhere in between that is called growth equity. And so that is when you already have a little bush growing and it's like, oh, it's looking like I'm growing some stuff. What else can I put in here to accelerate it to hopefully get it to the tree level that I mentioned earlier? So I hope that that clarifies things a little bit, but essentially it's all private money, right? And it's all usually for the benefit of growing, accelerating growth at a business. Um, and that can be done through a merger and acquisition. It can be done through just starting up a company and getting some money, some folks to back you. You hear about IPOs and all those things. And so um, initial public offering for those who might be listening. So I hope that that was helpful. But Brett, you let me know. What do you think? I think so. Um, yeah. I appreciate your, your walking through that. And uh, for our listeners, definitely a cold call. That was not in the three <laughs> podcast questions. But, but um <laughs> I, you know, I, I appreciate your sharing that, Safari. And I imagine as the as the president of the Private Equity Club, you've got a perspective on this. You probably will be answering this question from a perspective student or two. Sounds like you're already doing yeah. that work. <laughs> um, and I also think it's probably one of the things that feels a little intimidating about business school. Oh, I mean, even yeah. something like consulting. Um, people talk about it with such certainty that if you don't really know what consultants do and um, who could, you know, what the background is and what kind of projects, et cetera, like it can feel really intimidating. And so yeah. all these shorthands that, that gets, um, they get thrown around in business school. I appreciate, appreciate your helping us out with private equity and venture capital. Of course, no problem. Like I, it really is my, you know, one of the goals we talked about what I was looking to get out of business school is to be able to make it, make private equity and venture capital seem more accessible to anyone. So a lot of my classmates might tell you, like, they'll, my first few months here, I would just have lunches with people and answer questions. Like, I'm no expert, but I'm closer to them enough to be like, okay, I feel comfortable asking Sakari my quote unquote silly questions, even though they're never silly. Um, and it's also been cool to connect with like the entrepreneurial community here and answer some of their questions about, hey, what do you think about this, this pitch? What do you think about how I should be thinking about raising money? What do investors care about? So having experience and being able to help it, again, whatever I can do to just pull back the curtain is, is awesome. Well, Sakari, what are you looking forward to in the, in the months ahead? It, I, I'm sure you're going to have a lot going on <laughs> in, in, in the months, in the, in the year ahead. I, know. Year, I don't think you'll be slowing down. I'm looking forward to, well, the first thing I'm looking forward to is um, going to Sweden as part of the DWC. Um, so that's coming up in May. So I'm really looking forward to that. That'll be um, pretty exciting. Uh, after that part, I'm definitely looking forward to being back up in Northern Virginia um, and really plugging into not only like the investor ecosystem and since I've you know been at school, but also just the startup community that's really amazing up in uh, Northern Virginia and DC. Um, and then I'm looking forward to figuring out who my board is going to be for the private equity club. Um, the VP nominations open up, uh, have opened up and voting starts on Friday. And so I'll know who the rest of my board is by next week. And a big part of what I would love to do is to uh, create opportunities, not just to like plan stuff for next year, but for our board to really build a strong relationship through like social events and trips and things like that. So looking forward to figuring out who the team is and then putting a plan together to help the next year, you know, next class and even our current class explore private equity more. So Sakari, uh, occasionally we have people on the podcast who listen to the podcast. We found out before we recorded this episode that you were in fact a former podcast listener, which is great, by the way. <laughs> but you also shared that you had a podcast uh, for, for a while. <laughs> okay, tell us. So you got to tell us about your podcast. Um, yeah, um, it. I don't even remember what. I don't know what it was, but um, it was called Certainly Qualified. And the whole mission behind Certainly Qualified was to um, discuss stories or events or things that would help everyone realize that the, the characteristics that you might see as your flaws or the reasons why you shouldn't, you shouldn't get anything or you don't deserve something might actually be your secret sauce or might actually be what makes you qualified to achieve the goal that you think is out of reach. And so that was um, inspired just through my own journey uh, in undergrad and struggling academically and 
coming out on the other side and just seeing like, okay, that, that number on my transcript didn't mean anything or how I performed that, you know, on that exam didn't mean I was a failure for the rest of my life, but it built resilience. Right. And so, or it gave me a different perspective on what's important. So that was the focus of the pod back in the day. I recorded in my closet because that was like the best um, audio <laughs> that I could get. <laughs> Man, that sounds like an awesome podcast. Um, gosh, all right. Well, um, you're right that the closet, particularly if they're like coats and things in there, good acoustics, so you get a nice yeah. dry, <laughs> sort of dry, warmish sound in there and uh, not too echoey. Uh, for those of you looking to do your own podcast from home, that would be my suggestion as well um, as, a, as a location. Um, could you see yourself doing a podcast about private equity, venture capital, just trying to help people learn a little bit more about about what this is? I'm, I'm going to throw that out there. Uh, one <laughs> podcast host to a to another. To another. Um, <laughs> I can. I definitely can. I can see myself actually even doing like having a YouTube channel. Um, something like a big, big dream of mine is to be able to um, interview some of like the folks I look up to in private equity and venture capital. Um and so like just have conversations kind of like this, because uh, I think the more people get to hear from the folks who work in this industry, the easier it'll start to be to understand, understand what it actually is. Like VC is sexy. So we see that a lot. We don't hear a lot from folks in private equity, unless you're a finance nerd like me and you listen to those things. Like I listen to the David Rubenstein show. And so like I get to listen to that stuff. But if you're not into it um, in that regard, it shouldn't mean that you should like still have access to you know, listen to someone talk about their journey to it. So definitely open to it. We'll see what, what time allows, but I'm down for the, don't be surprised if I, you know, hit you up and send you a link. Please do. That would be, a, that would be a great day, Safari. <laughs> um, and, and you're right. I mean, one of the things that's interesting about that industry is it's a smaller industry. Like it, it, it least these, it seems like relatively small, but maybe growing uh, industry as, as some of these, areas begin to become increasingly popular for post MBA grads. There's growth happening. How do you see, how do you see that? Um, yeah, I think the interesting thing about the industry is like, it's, I guess it's relatively, I mean, we always say it's like a small network, but it has so much power. Like when you think about the, just the trillions of dollars of money out there that need to be put somewhere. Um, it's probably, it's not the most powerful uh, industry, but, you know, I tell people all the time, especially my family, like all of the products you're using, the glasses you wear, the clothes, the, the toothbrush, majority of the time, they probably are like private equity backed for companies or been acquired by firms, even music rights. And so um, I think we're a small, relatively small, but mighty in terms of the, the sheer number of people working, but the, the power in the industry is phenomenal. And I think it's, I think it's important to kind of open up the doors to, let some some good people get some more parts of that power. Yeah, to your to your last point, I think one of the running themes about private equity um, and venture capital in recent years is that um, perhaps not the most diverse industry. I know mm -hmm. perhaps about it, it is not the most diverse industry. Um, tends to be overwhelmingly uh, white and male, and that can influence investment decisions. Uh, it can influence who gets access to capital all of these kinds of things, um, the ramifications of it are, are manifold. Um, how do you think yeah. about that? Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's top of mind for me. And I think, um, you know, especially coming from civil engineering, where like, it was literally usually me and mostly, mostly, like you said, like, older white guys, or just folks who just could not relate to anything that I experienced. Um, this is not unfamiliar ter territory. But I am encouraged by um, just kind of the wave in terms of the number of diverse fund managers that are on the rise that have been established, um, particularly on the early stage venture capital side, um, and even like late stage venture capital as well, the number of folks who are rising through the ranks at existing um, late, later stage private equity shops. Um, I think the work is being done in some regard and some effort is being made, but there's a lot more to do, um, especially we think about the smaller pockets of our country where it's not necessarily even the cities that these firms exist in are just not diverse. And so um, they're a little further removed from the maybe the pressure or the push towards uh, progress in that regard. 
But um, I have seen a lot of efforts underway by firms and external organizations like Twigo, which I'm also a Twigo fellow, which focuses on diversifying finance, the, the area of finance. And so I'm encouraged by it. Well, I will also give a shout out to a recording that we did with Greg Fairchild about the Breakthrough Scholars Program here yeah. at Darden, uh, which also has the goal of getting more people um, from uh, diverse backgrounds interested in, uh, in private equity and venture capital. It's a scholarship program, also um, support for summer in- internships, all kinds of things. Um, yeah, so I'm a breakthrough to- scholar, so that's actually another reminder. <laughs> I'm honored to be a part of the pilot, and um, it's been a great resource uh, for me as well. So definitely, that's a strong plug for anyone interested in private equity and asset management careers. Well, Sakari, last word of advice, a tip? Uh, for our listeners out there? (sighs) Yes. Um, I would say that, particularly from my perspective, students, as you go through this journey of applying to business school, um, do not assign your your value to the metrics you produce through a test or to any admissions decisions. And I know it's easier for me to say that being on the other side, but I wish someone would have um, emphasized that a little bit more because, you know, you can get really caught up in this world and it's bubble. Business school is a bubble. It's a privilege to even be able to apply. Most people don't even understand what this is. Um, and so I just encourage you to pick up your head. And as you're pushing through those apps or pushing through decisions, just know that your value is not dictated by a score or an exam. It's not dictated by admissions decision. You are so much bigger than that. Um, so stay strong and I hope this uh, episode has encouraged you to consider private equity and consider Darden. It's great advice, uh, Sakari. I appreciate your sharing that. Um, the thing that we always tell people is we're interested in, in the whole person. So you are more than a test score. You are more than your GPA. And from the admissions committee standpoint, we really want to get to know you uh, as you're applying. Um, and so wonderful advice. Sakari, it's been such a pleasure. Uh, I'm going to have to go and uh, really reassess all the things I'm doing with my life that I got to get more involved. No, no. <laughs> Remember, you got to do what works for you, what, what's aligned to your, you know, your your plan, your mission, your what energizes you. But hopefully, you know, again, I'm, I'm just happy to be here, Brett. Thank you for having me. This was great. It was a pleasure. All righty. Thank you. And that was my interview with Sakari Brent a first-year student in our full-time MBA class of 2023. As always, if you have any comments, suggestions, requests, anything you'd like for us to cover here on the podcast, we're all ears. We can be reached at Darden, that's D-A-R-D-E-N, at virginia.edu. Until next time, stay safe, be well, and thanks for listening.